You're listening to Heart of the Hunter, a serialized fantasy novel set in Koronai, the magical country. This story was written and performed by Sam Chubb. For more information about this podcast, including upcoming role-playing game releases associated with this novel, check out heartofthehunter.com. Now, please enjoy Heart of the Hunter, Chapter 13. Peter hadn't noticed the gypsy child who had found the Ashwood disc hidden under a bush near his camp, but that didn't matter. As soon as the disc's magic-deadening influence faded, Dav and Gar were back to their rifles and pistols, firing. Though he had been fighting for his life, only two nail lay slain on the ground, and Peter knew he'd need to make quite a larger impression on this warband to make them decide to go away. The sound of the Dracon shots had seemed to make the warband melt into the shadows of the trees. Peter had just enough time to duck behind cover again. And then the white firebombs went off, flaring daylight through the trees, and the forest caught fire. High in his tree post, looking down on the battle below, Chursk became chagrined. When the wolves attacked, Chursk knew he had made an error in attacking so soon. He could feel it in his bones. He watched the wolf pack work its way through the outer ring of his warband, watched them kill and kill again with ruthless abandon. Not even watching for attacks from the low quarter, many of the nail tongues met their end without even a token resistance. The pack was large. Nearly twenty animals, although it was impossible for him to count them all, and they were huge. Clearly they had traveled far over the ice wastes to get here. Their teeth flashing, he watched his pack systematically move through two Algrim, rendering useless weapons in arms. He watched fascinated as a Tangresh's arm was pulled out of its socket and torn free as he was thrashed like a cat might thrash a rat. And the wolves did not fight like starving, hungry wolves. They were there to do injury, to kill and move on, leaving behind tainted meat. When one of the wolves stood at the base of the tree he was in, its teeth flashing, Chursk decided to make his retreat. Chursk thanked the great father for giving him two pairs of arms as he sprang from the tree and fell. He hurtled earthward, but soon grabbed the branches of another tree before falling, swinging on that branch, then launching himself further off into the forest. His broken, ruined warband lay dying behind him, but there would be still time to avenge them. Out of the shadows of the forest they came, and Mamzelaine saw them through the arrow slit, eyes flashing, teeth white, moving almost as if they were one being instead of many, 
the wolves came unlooked for and unsummoned. Mamza Lane had heard tales from her own Mamza about the packs the people had sworn with the tree keepers a hundred generations ago, but she had never herself seen living proof of it until that moment the great wolves had come to their aid. They had ran through the forest and had faced their fear of fire in order to launch themselves in violence against the enemy. She knew this was not what wolves did, knew that these four-legged warriors were sent from the wise who watch. Gesturing to the bolted door of the caravan, she commanded it to be opened. Her worst fears were recognized as she saw a towering pine aflame, the fires illuminating the slaughter of nail by wolf fang and claw. The flame tongues licked out and tasted other growth, fresh green new spring growth, and it too burst into flame. There are wolves, but they are not the enemy. Tamal, loose the horses. Shireen, help him. Baras, check Papi's wagon if you can. We must flee the fire. Mind the warriors, she said, drawing her dracon pistol and making her way down the steps of her wagon to join the fray. Fire! By Lofa's poisonous tits! Get the horses! We have to get out of here! Peter yelled as soon as his eyes, dripping tears from the exposure, allowed him to see again. The teamsters moved quickly to the horses while Peter stood guard, watching for any stray Tangresh or Agrem who might stumble through the trees. The Sidelian teamsters were adept at handling the cart horses. The horses had been bred for strength, sure-footedness, and calm, but the presence of fire so close to them was a threat they could not ignore. At least it's not hard to see anymore, eh, boys? Peter said, grinning. I wonder where all the nail tongues went, Peter mused, and then moved to help the Sidalians hitch up the teams. Kennel shuddered as he felt the fire blossom in the darkness and quickly had to marshal his will to block out the painful waves spreading from the trees to him. Instinctively, he reached out to the sky threads, trying reflexively to feel where moisture was in the clouds. After weeks of rain in the forests, there was no rain to be had, the silvery weather threads told him. The only clouds near enough were a herd of dark gray clouds, pregnant with spring rain, out to sea in the west. They would not arrive fast enough to matter, even if Kennel could command them, which he could not. Kennel wrapped his fingers around a pendant on a thong around his neck and reached out to the Brotherhood on the off chance that someone would hear and respond to his call. Hear me, O oh Brotherhood. Hear me, Ken to the stag. He sent thought to the pendant. But, as had happened in the past, this time there was no answering call. He was, for now, on his own.
The long ride of Vela grew dark as they rode. The moon had sunk below the horizon, and the shadows of the trees by the track became impenetrable. Fog dusted the hooves of the steeds, flecks of white foam forming on their hard-working legs. The Ravankara! Aranin! Look! Hunter said, pointing in the distance. Arin's eyes turned to survey the path his horse was running. They saw the Ravankara, the hungry shadows. Their eyes gleamed wetly, lit with red flame from within. It was said that these were the ghosts of the unclaimed dead of the Velisti, harbingers of doom for the people. Soon the eyes were just red blurs, but Arin turned on his mount and cast a look behind him and saw a dancing cloud of red eye lights churning up the track behind them. They were coming after them. How much longer, Hunter? How much longer until we reach the camp? The ride goes until it's over, Arini. No one has ever ceased the ride before it has ended before. Even if I knew how, I could not. For there is no way to know where exactly we would end up. We could be stuck between the worlds. We would join the ranks of the Kara. Become the unclaimed dead ourselves. No, Arinin. It is too risky to even try. We must ride until the ride is done with us. Not the other way around. The horses are nearly at their limit, Brother Hunter. For our sake, I hope the ride is done soon. Aladar Arinin. Aladar indeed. The gypsy camp was chaos, noise, trouble, but everyone, down to all but the youngest children, knew their duty and their place, and they moved together like a machine calming and steadying their horses, rigging them, and beginning the process of moving the caravan as soon as they could. In the midst of all this, the rider came, his horse's eyes shining with clear intelligence, his green cloak showing as clearly as he could. It was the badge of his office. Ho there, Greenward, Papi said, leaning heavily against his walking stick. What brings you here? Alidar, leader, I am Kinhil, and you're right. I am a green ward in service to the land. I come on my own business, but I do not abide the machinations of the nail tongue in my territory, nor do I allow wholesale slaughter as was countenanced by them. As a result, I have provided you some assistance in the guise of my brother wolves. However, now I see that the trees are fire. It is so, Greenward. My people seek to flee the Thames now. I need your help. As you can see, Greenward, we have a lot of carts to move. Perhaps, leader, you are wise. I know the people do not choose leaders who are not. Will you not repay my assistance with assistance of your own? Papis nodded slowly, watching his tribe continuing their work. This is balance, true, but what can we do? We have no magic to stop the fire, and our strongest men are away from camp. Kennel nodded and paused to think, and in that moment, a burning augrim attacked. Stumbling out of the flames, the thing was more than a wounded animal now. He was a creature of destruction and vengeance. 
Papis knew there were tales of nail tongues able to grow back body parts, arms, legs, or even regrow their skin. Could this be one like that? Time slowed to nothing as Papis contemplated the doom rushing towards him. The fiery beast reached for Papis. Burning claws scratched him even as he tried to turn out of the way. The world slowed for him as he fell, tangled up in roots and unsupported by his cane. The burning Agrim stood over him, crouching down slowly, bellowing in pain and in rage. And the Agrim would have gutted the gypsy elder with blackened talons if it hadn't been for a single shot. The shot was true. Piercing the creature's bony forehead and splattering its brain matter against the burning tree behind it. It fell back as if pushed by a giant hand and lay twitching in the flames. The stink of the burning corpse assaulted all who watched. Tucking her gun into her apron pocket, Mamzelaine knelt immediately and began to help her husband rise from the forest floor. He clutched a blackened talon rake wound that looked as if it might fester. Shock shone in her love's eyes, the smoke from her dracon pistol drifting over her head like an aura. She gave Kinhill a look. You men, chattering when you should be working. Help us get these wagons moved, Green Ward, and we can all be on to our business. The Green Ward grinned and nodded, vaulted from his horse, and bent to helping pull the carts out of harm's way as Lane bent to assist her wounded husband. The flames had spread to a half-dozen trees now, and more were beginning to catch fire. Kennel felt the trees burning as a visceral throb that warned. No amount of mental discipline could block out that continuous signal of distress. All that was green was threatened, and the very warp and weft of the tapestry of life depended on the trees. Nature had claimed him as her protector, and that brought him much in the way of strength. But that strength came at a cost of care and the necessity at hand. He helped get the last of the carts free of the trees by any means necessary, when the sound of tack and harness for, of another sort came to him. While the gypsies worked on their carts, now safely parked in a line along a path, he turned to confront the Sidalian teamsters driving their merchant carts. Ho there, goodman, Kennel called out in trade. Know ye of the fire hereabouts? Peter nosed his mount out from around the cart and approached the green ward, settling back on his saddle. Ho there, you have the look of a green ward about ye, or a scout at least. I am that, a Greenward, Kennel by name. I'm Sergeant Peter Colpon of the Hoskins Irregular, sir. Pleased to make your acquaintance. Pleased to make yours, Sergeant. One doesn't typically see mercenaries in the woods these days. What brings your unit up this far? <laughs> unit hardly. We have a squad. Unfortunately, most of that squad is off on a side mission. I'd hope to see him back before dawn. A female voice spoke up then. It was Mom's Elaine. The dawn is not yet, Sergeant. My R. Anine will be back to you, as he said. I know it. 
Mom's Elaine, we have one of your number among us, in the second cart. She was injured in the fight. The nail came among us. As did they us. Where is she? Who is she? Corinne, Mom's Elaine. We have done what we can for her, but she needs looking after. Corinne, does she live? Let me see her. Mamza cried, the strain of the morning starting to show in her voice. Gar was already getting down and opening the wagon's door for her while Lane called for assistance from among some of the stronger women to help carry Corinne. It was at that moment that Kennel spoke up, turning back to Peter. I think I hear hoofbeat, Sergeant. Your away party, perhaps? Peter nodded as he moved to help carry Corinne. Your hearing is far finer than mine. I can't hear a thing, but if you say so. Dow spoke up. I only hope it ain't more nail coming upon horseback. Kennel turned and pointed down the forest path. They come from the south. Do you see? There. A glowing fog had come upon the path to the south, and there indeed, in the full dark before the dawn, equine shapes appeared, galloping for their lives. For a moment, the scene seemed framed like a painting, as if riders of legend had been caught in time. Then the sound of horses' hooves surrounded the watchers, and the long ride of Vela appeared to finally come to its end. Chursk made good time through the trees early that morning, running until he could not run any further. It was not long before he stood before the Swamp Queen in disgrace, his lower arms twitching with shame. Forgive me, mistress, but it was that... Do not think, Chersk, to confuse your cowardice with battle tactics. You took the fight to the soft ones before your warband was reinforced. Now we look at your failure in detail. How many loyal fellows of Gaiku did you leave on the battlefield, dead or dying? You had no honor. That is true. Chursk could not stop shaking as the rage from the shame built up in him. He wanted to launch himself at the Swamp Witch, wanted to rip her throat out. Instead, he kept silent. He had heard and seen too much of her power to doubt that she could well and truly deal with him should he actually attack. What now, then? Am I to be reduced to kill Cool, a lowly spear carrier? Will that motivate your warriors to strive against adversity? I do not think it will, great wise one. It standing has no weight in this. All will question their standing, and the warriors' thoughts will not be in the fight. Do not think to lecture me about motivating nail based tongue. Your time for wisdom was earlier this morning. You will bide here now and wait my pleasure. I have a new champion now. The shaman chieftain turned to her left 
and addressed someone standing in the all-gloom darkness behind her cypress throne. Do you come forward, honored one, she said quietly. It was then that Frick, Master Jack's second-in-command, stepped forward out of the shadows. I don't really savvy. That nail speak stuff. I'm more of a trade-talking sort of guy. <laughs> You've been listening to Heart of the Hunter, a Coronai Chronicles story. Heart of the Hunter is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. Fireheart Foundry also produces Fledgling, a Leaden Universe science fiction novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. The Bears Grove Podcast. Dragonkin, the podcast for kids and gaming. The Square One Podcast. And Vibrant Living. Find out more about the Fireheart Foundry at fireheartfoundry.com. This podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons Attribution, No Derivatives, No Commercial Use, License 2.5. Music is provided by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you back to our fire real soon.